Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 166, Balderdash and Chicanery. This week we're discussing season 2, episode 7 of Battlestar Galactica, Home, part 2, and season 6, episode 8 of Buffy, Tabula Rasa. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. I almost got you there. I almost did it. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's what we get for picking joke titles. Walter Dash and (laughs) Shakespeare. We should have just called it, like, what's the string of Britishisms that Anya yells at when she's like, <laughs> bollocks, yeah. but Lou, whatever, like, yeah. Yeah. Bugger yeah. off, you blotty or whatever she says. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, BSG. BSG. Home oh, right. One. Right. I, uh, I start. <laughs> kind of. I mean, it's always kind of weird because, like, we both have seen this show before. So yeah, it's so not it's, really like. Who cares, really? Yeah. I, and I didn't, actually, we didn't even talk. Did you have any production notes or anything for this one? Uh, that's actually a good question. Um, I did actually have a small one. Um, just to note, actually, so this two part episode, actually, both uh, scripts were written by David Icke, who's the producer who. I think I mentioned had a story credit on the finale of the last season, but that was like his first writing mm. credit. And this is the first, I think scripts like he'd ever written was this two parter. Um, and actually this second part was co-written by Ron Moore. Um, but you know, just an interesting note that this is his first real foray into, you know, writing episodes of shows after having been a producer for a long time. So, um, Sure. I think he writes a few more over the course of this series, so worth pointing out, I think. But that's it. Um, so it's a little, in some ways, it's a little easier to talk about this episode structurally than some of the other ones because we don't have to like, like there aren't like multiple places really. Like most of it takes place on Cobalt. Right. Yeah. But. But like it's that it's that most of it part that sort of throws a little hitch, um, at least at the beginning here, where where you kind of start out with like Adama's group and Rosalind's group uh, in separate places. Mm-hmm. So figured we could talk about Adama and sort of. I don't know that there's a ton to say because it's kind of just, you know, flowing from the last time we saw him, um, where he was, you know. Uh, adamant about putting the family back together. Right. Um, and so you just kind of like get these shots of like him and Tyrrell and Gaeta and Ty and uh, you know they're all just kind of like like they're looking at maps and they're studying and like trying to figure out the best way to you know find you know figure out where Roslyn and team could be and they're like reading the scriptures and like doing all this stuff and then like Adama like says something about like maybe maybe Rosalind seeing things and and like seeing visions not just like seeing things but like mm-hmm. seeing visions and you know, like 
there's that moment where like all the others laugh and, and Hamid's like, no, I'm serious. Like she says she can see things and blah, blah, blah. Right. And they're all kind of like, wait a minute, like maybe, maybe the old man's cracked a little. Um, well, and that's kind of the, the humor of it is it's all the most kind of scientifically minded, like literal rationalist, you know, uh, you know, materialist characters. Like these are not the ones it's right. like giving, you know, the Bible to a bunch of, you know, atheists and saying, all right, now figure out like the historical validity of these things that they don't necessarily believe in. But they're awkwardly trying to do like apply like scriptures to like maps and geology and everything. Um, right, right, right. You have like Gaeta, who's like the physicist and you have right. like. Ty, who you know is the drunk who would probably right. get struck by cynic. lightning if yeah. he stepped into a church and <laughs> right. Uh, right right adamas who who's like your practical military man doesn't have time for that right you know religion stuff and then you know uh, chief who's who's the mechanic and you know is just like the 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 what do they call him like the you know uh uh grunt or whatever you know just kind of right. like the you know, he, he just, he's not like the scientific background that Gaeta has, but has kind of like, it's more like the materialist, you mm -hmm. know, technological kind of stuff. And Right. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, Adama's not joking. <laughs> like he's actually talking about Roslyn. Right. You know, seeing things. And I mean, even then he doesn't couch it like maybe she really is. It's just that like, she thinks she is. Mm -hmm. like. And that in and of itself sort of seems worth considering as as like a data point in mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, trying to figure out where they're going from. But yeah. Yeah, um, it actually reminded me of, I think in the previous episode when Rosalind's talking about how to get, you know, uh, useful things out of Sharon and she was saying like, like will exploit like her love of her baby and Hilo. Like it doesn't matter whether she's really capable of love. She thinks she is. And so we can use that. It kind of like, it's almost like Adama talks about Rosalind in a similar way of like, like I, I will I'm not saying I believe in her visions, but she believes she has vision. So we can right. use that to figure out where she might go. Right. And so like the sort of exegesis of the scriptures isn't like, it's not like you're explaining it from the concept of, a, as, you know, as a believer, but it's more like maybe a cultural historian right. might look at it and try to figure out like, okay, this is what this says, but what, what are like the real life things? If, you know, if you don't believe in right. this sort of mystical stuff, like what are the, you know, historical things that we can learn about, like, say, Jesus's life or ancient Palestine or right, you know, right. that kind of thing. Um, right. Let's use what the and, scientific knowledge we have to try to figure out, like, did Troy really exist based on this, you know, archaeological evidence? You know, that doesn't mean right. that you believe in the reality of the Iliad necessarily, but we can try right. to find the historic, you know, Troy or whatever. Um, right. You might not believe that like Athena was behind, you know, right. whichever army, I forget which one she was associated with, but like, you know, <laughs> you know, sort of urging the men on the fight or something. But yeah. Um, and and so in that respect, too, then, you know, it's not just like 
trying to figure out what's the reality of what scripture says, um, you know, the sort of physical reality anyway, but, but also how do we think these particular people will interpret, we'll interpret the, the, yeah. the physical reality of what the, so it, it, there's sort of that little twist on it too of, yeah, you know, like we can't just look at it as, you know, from our rationalist male leader perspective we have to look at it from like sort of the okay i didn't mean it the way that it's going to sound <laughs> as i'm coming out I, I was going to say we have to look at it from the irrational female perspective. <laughs> i don't i don't, i mean that in the sense of like i mean in the sense of what they're thinking of it from i don't mean that as like a generalization about females being irrational sure i mean it from the sense of like they're looking at roslyn who is female and they see as irrational. Right. Whether that's a commentary on like a bigger, you know, right. cultural gender, gender dynamic, issue, yeah. Yeah. then, yeah. you know, I'll leave that up to others to decide. But, right. Uh, right. Well, like, uh, yeah. that's what, like, when they're talking about it, I think Gaeta says, like, well, because Rosalind identifies with the, with the Book of Pythia, we should only look at Pythia. Like, we shouldn't need, because it's Rosalind. She's not even going to really look at the other gospels or whatever other books of scripture they have like that's her identifying that's the thing that she's using for her prophecies and the one that she believes in so we'll sort of choose to sort of focus on that solely so yeah like it's not you know whether they mean it in a gendered way it's more about like let's focus on to trying to think how Rosalind would think because that's ultimately the point right is to find the tomb of Athena, yes, but but really to find Rosalind. Like, right. does Adama believe right. they're going to find the tomb of Athena? Maybe not, but what he really wants to do is to is to reconnect and reconcile with Rosalind. So right. we're using the scriptures to find, try to find her rather and, than and, the other way. And so it becomes not just what's their endpoint and where do they think that endpoint is going to be because mm-hmm. they don't really know necessarily. Yeah. But also like they talk about, well, where to start from? Well, they'll probably start from, you know, the, whatever it is, the, the opera the building house. There. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, they'll probably start there, which means I'll have to go through this field, which, oh yeah. You know, the chiefs, Tyrrell says like, you know, oh, there was like this ridge and we went this so far into the woods and I can tell you this terrain here and they'll have to pass through this part. So like maybe we can cut them off or, you know, get closer to them if we land over here mm-hmm. instead. And, you know, trying to figure out not just that endpoint, but what's the path they're going to take to get to that endpoint. And there might be four or five different paths, but like right. figuring out which particular one that Rosalind would take is you know, going to help them in their search more than, you know, just going down one, you know, some other one yeah. or whatever. I said that really badly, but <laughs> you know what I mean. You took a, Excuse you me. took a windy path to get there, but you, you got there in the end. I did. And it was like, it was raining. Like it was the beginning <laughs> of the episode. Like it's very much a downpour. Um, so yeah. So speaking of, which path Rosalind will take. Let's talk about Rosalind and the path that she takes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we need to talk about like the actual, you know, travel and stuff, but like, it's definitely, you know, well, one, she doesn't have her, 
priest anymore, right? right? So it's kind of like her on her own, and like she's sort of turning into this like driving force mm-hmm. of her own uh, sort of will. And um, maybe maybe this is a little bit out of order, but like you get like Starbuck coming and talking to her about you know the people back on Caprica and how you know there's actually resistance fighting going on and mm-hmm. and they should be you know they should go back and try to rescue them and Rosalind's like I can't you know I can't focus on that now I'm I'm just so focused on finding the tomb like really Rosalind like you can't just say okay yeah yeah let's talk about that when we get back to wherever you know back to the ship yeah like like you can't just appease Starbuck right now yeah. Like, Wild Starbuck, who you know has a propensity to go off doing stuff half-cocked. Right, right. Because you sent her to go do stuff half-cocked. Right, before. you know this, like, yeah. Like, you can't just, like, say, oh, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll talk about it when we get back to the ship. Right, um, right. But whatever. That's her leadership style, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, you just kind of get this sense of, like, like, she's sinking more into that role of you know, a leader in mm-hmm. in the religious sense, not the yeah. political sense. Right. <laughs> um, which is, I mean, you know, certainly when, so I'm thinking like, I mean, I know like the the gods and everything in, in BSG, the, the uh, lords of Cobol are all, you know, sort of modeled after Greco-Roman mm-hmm. mythology. Um, <clears throat> but you have, uh, you know, I, I almost think of her more as, like, one of, like, the Old Testament, like, judges or something. Mm. You know, like, like where there's sort of that fine line between, like, prophet and political mm-hmm. leader. Like, like, they're a political leader, but they're chosen by God to, right. like, you know, and usually for, like, a specific purpose. Right. Uh, and it's not... I mean, in Rosalind's case, like, okay, yes, she technically is, like, the president and whatever, but, like, it's also that thing of, like, she's president by fate, like, mm-hmm. you know, by by providence, really, because, you know, she wasn't chosen, and, right. like, she the wasn't odds of her, people. yeah, Not the odds of her anything. having, yeah. the odds of her having been, you know, uh, put in that position were so astronomical that it took you know, something like an act of God, (laughs) depending on if you believe the Cylons, maybe it was an act of God, you know, like, you know, to actually put her in that position and that kind of thing. So there is sort of this almost providential aspect, um, you know, to her being there. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Anyway, so just sort of all of that, like, like you see her kind of going into that and, and sort of the, single purposeful single single mindedness mm-hmm. not single purposefulness because that's not a word but single mindedness of you know her going and and sort of sinking into that role yeah uh, as uh as things go along well and i also get like a sense too of and i think this goes along with that that narrowed focus and determination um and maybe also her kind of blowing off Starbuck and everything. 
of like the physical exhaustion of it, you know, because, you know, we have to remember she has cancer, you know, and so hiking around in the mountains, you know, in the rain, like she's looking more kind of beat down and ragged than she has mm. recently when she's been a little bit more like comfortable, you know, aboard Galactica and everything. I mean, other than sure. when she was like deprived of her meds and everything. Um, but like, but here there's that sense of, there's this push to get things done while she still can, you know? Yeah. Um, and a sense of her not knowing how much longer she'll have to get that done. And that's part of the determination. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, and that's an interesting aspect. I guess I didn't really think about it that way, too, because the whole prophecy is about, you know, someone who, you know, who is going to die or who is sick or whatever. But, like, like there is that aspect of, you know, when you are coming up on a deadline. <laughs> I mean, I realize it's more than, like, a you know, it's not like you're turning in a paper, you know, for <laughs> school. But, like... I mean, it's kind of the literal yeah. deadline, right? Like, yeah. the line of death where you can't go past it. Like, there is that sense of urgency, which which maybe is what triggers that ability to sort of have that purpose, you know, purposefulness about her. Right, that last um, burst to the finish line. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, um, and you kind of wonder, too, like, is that, does that, like, okay, so she says, Starbuck, like, I can't think about the people right now. It's sort of, like, I don't think she means it this callously necessarily. Maybe she does, but, like, that's kind of somebody else's problem. Like, I have a job to do and a limited time in which to do it. And, sure. like, you know, the people all on Caprica are not where... The focus is, you know, um, although later in her talk with Adama, the fact that she brings it up kind of suggests that it's rankling a bit. Like there's a part of her that wonders, did I do the wrong thing in leaving them behind? Should we be making that a priority? Should we have sure. gone back for them or stayed and fought for them in the first place? So okay. it kind of sticks with her a little bit. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So like, they're going and like they they stop to like camp for the night or whatever and like oh hey look it's Adama yeah welcome back um big reunion yeah what well, and we can talk about the different you know reunion stuff in a minute but since you brought up like the whole conversation they have like I do think like I wonder how much that you know, Adama showing up there brings her out of that single-mindedness. Mm -hmm. Like... Sure. And I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with anything you just said, so mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want it to be taken that, but like, like, it does seem to be that like, there's a, a change in, I don't mean to say that like, she's changed her purpose, but like, between the time of like, her priest being killed and Adama showing up. It's almost like, like she sort of takes on like added 
purpose or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And, like, like now when Adama shows up, it's like, oh, I'm just sort of back to my, my regular purpose. Purpose hasn't changed. It's just, like, the intensity of it right. has maybe lessened a bit. And, right. I mean, some of that, well, I, 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 don't, I don't know what all of that is about necessarily. Like, I don't even necessarily 100% know if I stated that even right but like it's just that maybe that idea of like things are back to normal kind of in a way so like until yeah until then it was like like things just got weird after Adama arrested her and so like <laughs> you know I, I it's mean got a little I don't, awkward yeah yeah I don't know how to like put it that way but now like he's back and like you know, families back together again or whatever. And of course, then there's also like that sort of awkward conversation of like, you know, I forgive you. All right. But I didn't ask for your forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have it anyway. Okay. <laughs> like, right. And that's fine. But they're both like, like they're still kind of both being stubborn about it. You know, right. like there's right. that, that thought of like, I want to, work things out with you but in the same token i still want to save face on both sides Mm -hmm. so yeah um right neither one wants to admit that they were the wrong party in their actions even if they want even if they regret the way things went and want to move past it um right which you know begs the question for the future can you really move past it without acknowledgement of wrongdoing you know that's a that's a, a, you know, it seems like yeah. certainly in, like, you know, real experience, that's a big part of, you know, moving on or forgiveness or whatever is acknowledgement of, you know, your your part in the, the wrongdoing or whatever. But, yeah, I kind of, I hadn't thought of it until you said it, but there is a sense of once... Like, yeah, like, if Adama arresting her is, like, the the breaking point in that relationship, neither of them are as effective leaders on their own as they are together. And there is that sense of, when we come back together, oh, just the relief of it, you know, of, of her kind of, yeah, like, maybe it just dials back the intensity because she doesn't have to be the sole leader anymore. She has somebody that she can share that with um well right and and there's a sense of that they're equals right whereas other other than each other other than each other neither one really has an equal right right so Mm -hmm. this is you know again sort of like a restoration of the balance of power Mm -hmm. you know kind of like you're saying and you know that that thing of like it now Rosalind doesn't have to be the like trailblazer on her own. Mm-hmm. Like they can work together and you know, all that, like you said. Um But that also opens her up to like with him at least giving in to some of that uh uncertainty and maybe frustration and questioning of her own actions Mm -hmm. um 
and like that's where, like that you know that's where it brings in the uh you know the idea of you know this is what Starbuck told me, you know, is that there's like people back on Caprica and maybe we were wrong to even leave in the first place, which is kind of ridiculous. Cause like when you think back to what was happening, like how could you have known right. that those people were there and had you stayed, you would have, you know, you would have been killed just like everyone else. Right. Um, and that's when Adama's like, you know, I didn't come here to navel gaze or catalog our mistakes and, you know, we made a decision. You know, this is this is his. You know, yeah. we made a decision. I don't we're sticking guess. to it. Yeah. But like, that hasn't always worked out the best for you, Adama. Like, sure. like maybe maybe there are times when you should second guess or mm-hmm. reverse your decision. But like, <clears throat> like, like right now, um, <laughs> like, like the decision that you reversed to come down to this planet and find right. Roslyn and put the family back together. That reversal of your decision, <laughs> like yeah, the one you're second guessing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, please don't second guess. Uh, but uh, I mean, on the other hand, like he is kind of right. Like, like it is sort of ridiculous for Rosalind to be thinking like that they sh- never should have left and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that at this point, you can just really move forward. You can't really. Uh, do whatever um but then there's also that recognition of uh him saying to her that that it's not him it's not galactica that has kept them alive right mm-hmm. it was Roslyn, mm-hmm. and it was Roslyn's leadership because you know, every moment since then is a gift and Roslyn's like oh from the gods like you know like sort of trite mm-hmm. which is interesting you know, coming from Rosalind, it's like sort of that trite thing right. of like, oh, every day is a gift from God and right. blah, blah, blah. Uh, and Rosalind said, or Adama says, no, from you for convincing me that I should go. I would be dead. My son would be dead. Whatever else it costs, I won't second guess that outcome. And then he says, I think it's time to go find this tomb of yours. And tomb of yours. Oh, wait a minute. Her tomb? No. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, that, yeah that, that double entendre had not occurred to me, but uh, it didn't until just now when I read the what Adama said. But um, but again, it's not that like I mean, he doesn't say we, but the implication there is that we. It's time for us to go find this team mm. of yours, right? Like it's that that implication of again that they're equals, like they're going together. It's not. Rosalind going off by herself and you know with some followers but uh you know whatever and they're not they're not butting heads like they're not each trying to sort of overstep the other's authority but it's that you know moving together that that is sort of it and it's you know I think more so than you know the sort of disingenuous forgiveness you know uh that Adama offers like the actual recognition of Rosalind as as the one who you know is responsible for them being alive is Mm -hmm. probably does more to repair that relationship Mm -hmm. um, in the long run yeah yeah and uh thinking back to the week before with Dee's talk that kind of changes his mind like that's the whole central idea there is not just that 
you screwed up and you should go fix it, but also that you made this promise. Like, don't forget, you promised to find Earth. Like, that's the whole thing here is it's not just it's not just surviving from day to day, but you promise to like actually give us a purpose and you should be working towards that. Now she doesn't know and nobody knows that he doesn't necessarily have a lot of faith in his own words there, but mm. nevertheless, he made that promise to them. So, and you kind of like realize that that's not something he can do on his own. Like that's, more so than Adama, that's where Ro Rosalind's focus has been, is on, you know, right. the arrow, which yeah. leads to the tomb, which leads to Earth. Like, she's the one, like, now he might think it's, you know, Balderdash and, uh, you know, and chicanery yeah. and, um, and not believe that it's actually going to mean anything. But he's still the one who made that promise. And, you know, like they if they're gonna actually try at least to find something if there's anything to find then he has to work with her on that um sure you know so kind of a reaffirming of his original purpose because like up until the finale when they like find cobol and then there's the whole thing with the arrow most of like the first season, like they're not really looking for Earth. They're mostly just sort of getting, you know, surviving from day to day or trying right. to get to far enough away from the Cylons. Like this is, this is a bringing back to the miniseries, really, of like Adama having, you know, mm. a purpose and a goal and something that he and Rosalind are going to try to do together. So... Yeah. Well, and, you know, to sort of jump to the end, too, that's kind of the message of his little introduction there, Rosin, too, right? Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, we've struggled since the attacks trying to rely on one another. Our strength and our only hope as a people is to remain undivided. Um, like, yeah, he's talking about, like, the whole fleet, but he's also talking about, like, the two of them, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, we haven't always done all we could to ensure that. Oh, oh, really? Do you have any examples? <laughs> um, I haven't what, always done what, what I could. Na na name one time when you haven't done all you could to ensure. Uh, right. You know, but, uh, you know, he talks about, like, you know, many people, many people believe scriptures, letters from God will lead us to salvation. Maybe they will. <clears throat> Maybe they won't. Uh, he doesn't say that. Mm -hmm. I, I added that in. That's my commentary. Um, but you the added God in, that's shall the lift subtext. those who lift. Yeah, <laughs> the God shall lift those who lift each other. Right. This, this is the. Uh, this is this is like, you know, their edition of like the Benjamin Franklin proverb, right? Like, uh, God helps those who help themselves, mm -hmm. right? This is, but this is like the the nice like link arms and skip through a field of flowers version of that. Right. The, God's the, lift the those community who lift building each other. version. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, and even the fact that, like, it's Adama quoting scripture, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, kind of there at the end, that, you know, whether he believes it or not, <clears throat> probably not, uh, you know, he, he at least sees that there's value in sort of consensus building and working together, um, given 
how badly the te- the 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 what the fleet was torn <laughs> apart. <laughs> wow, that was a slip and a half. Um, how how badly the fleet was torn apart, and uh, you know when they didn't uh, sort of lift each other, as it were. Right. Um, so. Well, and just to finish that ending, since we're on it too, the the way that like you know, and and I think he's the first one in the group, which is kind of why he gets it going. Is Roslyn hasn't had other than like the kind of uh, more fundamentalist religious faction among the fleet she's not necessarily like the most respected person. Like they also kind of joke about all this, this teacher who calls herself president and all she's thinks she's, you know, appointed by God and all this stuff. And like, you get that in the kind of polite smattering of applause that she gets. Um, Like it's sort of, you know, it's expected, but it's not really very genuine. And then it's, you know, so it's Adama who starts that kind of slow clap to say, no, you got to mean it. Like, you know, him kind of imposing his own will onto the others of you will respect her. And like, (laughs) it turns into this like big clapping, cheering thing, but it's something that he kind of gets going. Like he kind of works the crowd to get to that place, you know? Um, Maybe and that like they weren't going there on their own. They weren't like yeah. ready to like cheer for her until Adama kind of says, "Well, you should." Um, so. Yeah. Uh, think we should talk about some other characters yet, or yeah. No. Uh, well, we already kind of hit the Starbuck thing. I don't really have anything. Um, well, did we want to mention talk- Billy really quick since he kind of oh, comes yeah, yeah, down yeah, yeah. Yeah. with the team? Because yeah. right, so so Billy had, uh, although he had sort of stuck by Rosalind's side while she was in the brig, mm-hmm. uh, and and was questioned by Ty at least once about why he wasn't also in the brig, right? But right. Nobody ever nobody put, me put there, him there. So, um, so, yeah, but he refused. Interestingly, I find, I think that, you know, he refused to go with her. Because, like, I don't know. I, at at that point, I sort of see, like, like, by the time you get to where, you know, you have Ty, like, declaring martial law. And Adama never rescinded it as far as we know right like sure like when adama took over again like he he didn't say hey guys martial law we're done with that just kidding just, yeah know, yeah whatever um like i kind of feel like billy's sort of standing on like empty principles mm. at that point um just me sure but you know i mean it makes for a nice little reunion mm-hmm. uh when they come back. And so you have like, you know, you have the, uh, you have Adama arriving and they're all pointing guns and then, you know, they all lower them and hug and isn't that sweet. And then Billy's there. And so like, while Rosalind's sort of like basking in like the togetherness of everyone else, like 
there's that genuine moment of, oh, Billy, it's so nice to see you. And mm-hmm. um, I wonder how much, though, the conversation between Billy and Adama in the raptor as they're descending, mm-hmm. how much of that is accurate. Mm. Um, so Adama says, so Billy is sort of like second guessing whether or not Roslyn will actually enjoy seeing him. Right. Um, given that he sort of feels like he betrayed her mm-hmm. in a way. Um, but then uh, Adama says to him, you know, oh, actually she, she thinks quite highly of you and, and thinks that you'll be president one day. And she told me that, oh, by the way, you remind her of President Adar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, he throws in, yeah, Adar was a moron, but right. <laughs> but you, you know, he was president, so right, right. <laughs> you're just like him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, mean, so take it for what it's worth. Like, on the one hand, like, I don't I don't necessarily have any reason to not believe Adama, but I also like it's worth acknowledging that I think Adama would say that if he thought it was enough to just sort of motivate Billy mm-hmm. in going. And also it's the kind of thing that like given like if you know Billy for more than five seconds, you know it's probably not the kind of thing he's actually gonna ask Roslyn about. Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't see Billy going. So, did you really tell Adama that right. I remind you of President Adar? Right. Like, it just doesn't right make sense. So, I could see that as again. I don't necessarily have right. proof of this. I just sure. could see that as Adama being like telling a little white. I'm lie. just going to tell yeah. Billy what I think he needs to hear mm-hmm. in order to get down to see Rob. Right. Um, and then, like, you know, she is genuine and happy to see him and mm-hmm. hugs him and whatnot. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a valid theory. Um, I can't uh, prove or disprove it, but... It's it's um, my own headcanon. It's your headcanon, yeah. Well, well it's also, I like... I, 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 I don't want to say it that way, because I, I don't... I'm agnostic either way. Like for, right. for, you know, I not, I don't, I'm not saying that I think Adama did do that either. I'm just saying it's a potential interpretation uh, right. of the facts. Well, and it's key. I think that it comes from Adama rather than Roslyn, whether it's true or not, it doesn't come from Roslyn to Billy. It comes from Adama. So it's one of those, you know, there are those mentor protege relationships or even parental relationships where you uh y- your view of your mentor's opinion of you may or may not be reflected by the way like they might be you might think oh they're they're they don't think much of me they're so hard on me we argue about everything You know, they don't really think, you know, I have, like, who am I to advise them? I'm just whatever. And maybe that mentor has 
a great opinion of you, but they don't necessarily like tell you that all the time, you know? So it's like the kind of thing that, yeah, maybe Billy needs to hear it. And maybe he would never hear that from Rosalind. Like whether it's true or not, that's not the kind of thing that Rosalind is going to come out to say, oh yeah, by the way, like, I think you'll make a great president one day, you know? Um, so it's like the right. kind of thing that he's only going to get secondhand. Um, sure. You know, from somebody else. So, you know, not the kind of thing that I think Billy is in the habit of being told, you know, uh, certainly not by Rosalind or maybe from anybody else. So. But so, yes, uh, they are uh, reconciled now, which is good. So Lee and Starbuck. Yeah. And you mentioned Starbuck wanting to go back to Caprica. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that I have a lot to say about Lee and Starbuck. I mean, Lee kind of gets the creeps when they're, when he's watching like Hilo and Sharon, mm -hmm. you know, sort of like keeping right. an eye on them and seeing them interact and stuff. But I don't, right. like other than that and, and like, you know, him and Andama hugging, you know, yeah, there's not... Later, like, there's not a lot to say. There's not too much. Uh, um, I mean, Starbuck having... Like, Lee, we should remember, is newer to the fleet, obviously. Like, just showed up, you know, for the, the attack itself. So is not really... Sure. Doesn't have that history. Like, he doesn't really know Hilo. You know, he doesn't know anything about him That's or true. whether or not to trust I kind him. Of... I kind of forgot that aspect. So like, which I did, I do too. Sometimes, like, I had to unlike watching these episodes. I had to remind myself, like, oh, they've like met like once before, maybe. Um, right. Well, because it was like, right, because it's just like right after the attack that right. like Hilo, Hilo goes down and to the Sharon planet. go down, and then Hilo doesn't come back. Right. So like, right. Yeah, I for I I forget that like. He's pretty much been down on Caprica this entire time. And right. that, and, and specifically that, like, right, like Lee had literally only been there for a few hours right. to, like, fly, you know, for his father's retirement. Like, right, right, right. So Starbuck is, the, is more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because she has these long relationships with them that Lee doesn't have. So, um, yeah. you know, I don't think there's too much to say but you see slightly different because of that i think you see slightly different perspectives yeah. from them on how do they how quick are they to you know be if not trusting at least somewhat accepting of the fact that sharon is here and she's in this relationship with hilo and starbuck wasn't there when adama got shot right lee saw it right Lee saw it happen. Right. Saw Sharon, you know, Boomer shoot Adama. Yeah. So. Right. So there's the, the trauma of that. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, yeah, that's not something you get out of your head. Right. <laughs> um, easily anyway. Right. Uh, so yeah. So, so, okay. So speaking of Sharon, like, and Hilo, but mostly Sharon, um, I feel like that's a lot of like the scenes that Hilo is in. It's like, yeah, but mostly the other person. Um, 
I know. It's always <laughs> and not like, that I dislike like and now Sharon and Hilo like, there too. Yeah, I just feel like Hilo as a character is like kind of passive a lot of the time. Like, sure, like he he's he's a lot of like scene candy. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right, and that, and that's fine. I mean, there's a lot of women characters who have been scene candy, and maybe it's time for you know a guy to be that. So that's all good. But um, right. Anyway, like mostly Sharon. So, well, and and even a little uh, annoyingly passive. Like certainly in this episode, like, um, and, and part of it, I think the scene is a little overwritten and stuff. But like the part where she's, I need you to trust me, and you know, and not ask what I'm going to do. Like that's when yeah. you really say, like, all right, Hilo have some opinion about something like aren't you at all bothered by sure. this you know like because you know it, it's a little frustrating because i get that he is that he loves sharon that he's got to the point where he's convinced for her but that doesn't mean that he's stopped feeling loyalty towards his fellow crew members too so yeah it's hard not to read her it, it's just overly kind of cryptic and stuff um and in a, I, in a way that it makes it hard to justify his passivity i think i agree to a certain extent although again like they were together in caprica for quite a while and sure like like there's that sense in which he had been pining for her for quite a while mm -hmm. like you know if you're you know woman crush or man crush or or whatever crush you know suddenly drops everything and is like super devoted and is carrying your child and right. all of that like right. and just wants you to love and trust her yeah yeah there there might be a and let's face it right like with crashdown mm -hmm. he's not the pilot of the raptor <laughs> like he, right. he's in, he's right. in the bitch seat like <laughs> right. if you want to call it that sure like, sure like he's <laughs> you know he's not the technical one term piloting the thing right yeah. right oh come on you you know that the 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 crew and you know on the deck crew probably called it that right i'd believe it sure um that's right. my head cannon There's i got a lot of head official head head cannon yeah head, head cannon firing all over the place. right no um, he's not the leader he's not the the most critical thinker um yeah. So anyway, just to like, yeah, like, and and you get the sense already that like the Raptor pilots are sort of, uh, uh, you know, they they have different personalities than the Viper pilots, yeah. right? Like these these are two different styles of piloting. Yes, mm -hmm. they're both pilots and and are commissioned and whatever, but like. Again, with like Crashdown, like, yes, he's a lieutenant, but he's not really a lieutenant. You right. know what I mean? Like, right. he's not a lieutenant like Starbucks a lieutenant. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, so, yeah, like, I, I agree with you. Like, it is frustratingly passive. But, you know, maybe I'm doing a little extra work to sort of give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. But I do think I do think there is some psychological factors there that are sort of in, in play, too, with, with the having clearly pined over you know boomer for mm -hmm. so long and um 
you know, the fact that they're partners and that they were on cap, you know, Hilo and Sharon were on Caprica together and yeah. he's carrying his baby and right. all that stuff. Like there is at least some level, but, but I do agree. Like that whole scene does seem to be a little over sentimental and over wrought um, to some degree. Uh, so Sharon. Yeah. Um, one, I mean, you know, I mean, not, not, like, we already knew that she was sort of the one leading them. Like, I mean, Rosalind's leading them, but, mm-hmm. like, Sharon's the one actually taking them to where the tomb is based on her various knowledge of right. the scriptures and sort of interpretations and stuff. Um, we get a little more, though, about, like, her memory. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure I fully understand at this point um, like she has, Sharon has Boomer's memories, mm-hmm. but like, at what point did she get those? Right, because Boomer just died. Like since we've seen Sharon, right? So, because I thought like the whole point was that, like, when a Cylon died, that's when their consciousness gets uploaded or whatever, and then like transferred into a new right. body or whatever. Right. And then like maybe as part of that upload, does it get shared? So I think like, that's part of it. And I think I think they get into more detail about how it works later in the series, but I kind of get the impression that like Sharon doesn't necessarily have all of Boomer's like recent memories. Like maybe at some point in uh, this is me speculating i don't know that they ever really explain this but like i get the idea that like sharon has the the memories that boomer was sort of implanted with let's say like of her life and her past and everything and then maybe while she was a sleeper agent they were able to get some you know intel of memories from being on galactica that was shared with maybe, I don't know, all of the Sharons or this specific one or whatever. Um, but I don't think she has, but I feel like they have to like do something to transfer those memories. Like, I don't think it's just that whenever Boomer does something that's automatically shared with the rest of them. Um, like there has right. to it's be some like sort of- It's not like a constant backup right. sort of thing, but there's like, right. there are periods where maybe- when boomer went on leave right where there's like, a there's a periodic like upload of new data or something so so maybe like as of yeah so let's say as of the last time that boomer had like shore leave or something sharon has you know those memories but not necessarily like the, not necessarily the stuff that we've seen in the series like of like you know the right. the more recent events or shooting a dama or something like that so so enough to know who Tyrrell is and that right you know that boomer was you know boinking him or whatever but like right but not enough know. to know that uh you know they killed her you know that Callie killed her after um right sure. like that's news to her so at some point in the near past at some indeterminate point was her most recent sort of download of information right that's my kind of 
understanding. Of I mean, I suppose kind of maybe even it could have been when Boomer went to the base star. Sure. Like maybe there was something there like that happened. Cause we don't, sure. we kind of like don't see what goes on fully, you right. know? Right. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, there's some, it's definitely not a constant stream of information. Like there has to be some sort of transfer purpose, either like an uploading or a downloading or both. Um, mm-hmm. And I think as they go into later, dying is one way to achieve that but maybe there are other ways too like maybe if you check in with a you know station every so often you can kind of give them new you know new memories to kind of add to the bank right um you know which then the other share right there's it's like sort of the sort of like there's an automatic backup but you can also sort of like right force a backup right exactly you know in the middle yeah yeah right right so, yeah, so she has not these more recent events, but all of the kind of memories of her life aboard Galactica, let's say. So, you, like you mm. said, like the relationship with Tyrrell, memories of her friends, what it was like to be one of the team in uniform, all that general kind of thing. Um, even though she mm. wasn't there physically, right. she can kind of put that all into her brain and experience it in her memory as if she really was there. Um, and as we talked a lot about at various points with Dr. Who, um, if you have the memories of something, at least from your subjective experience, what is the difference from actual experience, at least from your point of view, you know, it's it's as it feels as genuine as the real thing, which is kind of what Sharon says. Yeah. Yeah, and so interesting too. All right, well, so okay, so Zarek and his buddy Meyer, they plot to kill Adama and whoever else. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, not Adama at first because he's not there at first, but then like Adama comes and Meyer's like, "Oh, cool," and Zarek's like, "Nah, brah," and then. Uh, <laughs> And then, like, Meyer, like, recruits Sharon. Yeah. And, like, tells her about, you know, the other, about Boomer being murdered. Right. Um, and so and so there's that, like, oh, will she, won't she. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out she she turns on Meyer and the other dude. Um, well, I, I guess, is it Lee who kills the other dude? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, points the gun at Adama. Mm-hmm. So now you have like a parallel of Boomer, mm-hmm. you know, but instead says, I need you to know something. I'm Sharon, but I'm a different Sharon. I know who I am. I don't have hidden protocols or programs lying in wait to be activated. I make my own choices. I make my own decisions. And I need you to know this is my choice. So mm-hmm. several things there. Uh, I mean, to your question about memory. She has Sharon's memories, but she's a different Sharon. So a couple things there is like she has Sharon's memories, but she also maybe, I guess, has her own memories. Mm. Like she has memories that Sharon didn't. So Mm. in a sense, she is Sharon because she has all of Sharon's memories, at least up to a certain point. But she's not only 
Boomer, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's she's a Sharon that's like like Boomer plus. Yeah. Um. She says, "I know who I am," which implies, like, right after saying, "I'm different, Sharon." I'm a different Sharon. I know who I am. If you take that sort of a positively, then that implies that the other Sharon didn't know who she was, right? Well, Which I and think, I just thought of her saying, I wake up in the morning and I wonder who I am. <laughs> like, I don't right, know. <laughs> right. Well, and and there are those moments where, like, you're tripping wet in the munitions right. locker and don't know why or how you got to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if, if, if Sharon's oh. Boomer Plus with an abundance, extra memories, double sets of memories, then there's Boomer with deficiency in memory. You know, she has blanks sure. rather than full memory, you know? So sure. the, neither of them are even. They're kind of, it, it's sort of like as Sharon increases, she takes away from you know, Boomer yeah. is, and they're, they're trending in opposite directions. And it's possible this Sharon even knows what happened in that, sure. you know, scenario. Yeah. Um, if, you know, depending again on when that backup right. or data dump or whatever it is right. was made. Right. Um, she says, I don't have hidden protocols or programs lying in wait to be activated. And like, we did see like with Boomer, like when they, uh, found water and she's like i'm I'm having trouble saying it mm. and there was that struggle of i i want to say it and then she eventually does right she it seems like overcomes that program at least momentarily to mm-hmm. some degree um but certainly seems like there are hidden protocols protocols and programs but you know again like the question becomes is how can we trust this Sharon mm-hmm. that that's true? Like, do sure. you really know? Right. How do you know? Uh, if they're hidden, yeah. how would you know? Um, um, yeah. I make my own choices. I make my own decisions. And I need you to know this is my choice. And then gives Adama the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, and same questions there. Like, okay, but how do we know? How do we know your choices aren't just the result of programming hidden protocols, programs lying in wait to be activated, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Like, and then, of course, the question comes back around to, well, how do we know that people aren't just that either? Right, that's what I'm thinking. um, Like, okay, is this just a a sci-fi version of the nature-nurture debate? Like, to what extent do you have free will or to what extent are you programmed by your experiences or your genes or your personality or whatever it is right or what mixture thereof like maybe you do have free will but only within a very limited context right because all of those things you know are boundaries you know that sort of keep you within a certain range of Mm -hmm. potential options right um and and in that case you know what's the difference between circuitry and you know biological neurons right. you know that both just carry electricity you know right. in some form or another right it's almost as if that's a central question of the series hmm. maybe <laughs> we should consider that one uh yeah so uh 
Let's see. I feel like we kind of went a bit over that. Oh, man. We haven't even talked about Baltar yet. <laughs> or the Tomb of Athena. Uh, well, in the last 15 seconds of this hour. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so, okay. And anything else, though, I don't want to cut Sharon short. Because I feel like a lot of her stuff is important to the episode and moving yeah. forward. No, I think that's... I think we kind of covered it. Um, I think that's important to hit on is the kind of yin and yang of Sharon and Boomer of, of they're the same, but, but inverse, you know, like, so they have the kind of same makeup, but like whatever one does, the other sort of is the mirror image of it or the mirror reverse of it, you know? So like you even pointed out the, the imagery of, okay, one of them points a gun at Adama and shoots the other one points it and then you know, gives it to him. And I feel like all of their, uh, all of their different choices and actions function in that way. Like, you know, uh, with one of them sort of, apart from being thrown in the brig at the end, you know, you have Sharon kind of trending upward, whereas Boomer trended downward into, you know, a rather sudden, and violent death, you know? So yeah. uh, it's kind of interesting to see them sort of mirror each other that way. Um, but I think that's it. So we can talk about, uh, should we talk about Baltar really quick? Yeah. So Let's yeah, Baltar. So trying to, trying at least, to put to rest the question of, head six and what is she um and i mean there's a lot of funny back and forth around this question you know of uh him getting the brain scan and keeping like jerking movements that like I mean coddle has to like start over again and all that's pretty funny um you know and you get head six messing with him going from the extreme of being sort of totally naked to, you know, in her sort of sweats and with her hair pulled back, like looking like totally just normal and everything as much as, as much as Trisha Helfer is capable of looking normal. Um, but you know, still Trisha Helfer, but, uh, so it is, uh, but I think all kind of circling this question of trying to figure out what is she and at the end, so we use the brain scan to to eliminate the the possibility of of a chip or an implant of some kind we have a verified proven prediction of the pregnancy hmm. to kind of hopefully eliminate the position the the theory that he's just nuts you know and making it all up and hallucinating so if he yeah. if he actually you know predicted the pregnancy, then that means he's probably not just totally losing it. Um, and so, okay, those are the two options we've had so far. She's either a manifestation of his craziness and his guilt, or she's like a Cylon chip. And if it's not either of those things, what is it? Um, and that's when she presents this new third option, you know, which is that she's an angel of God sent here to protect him to guide him to love him to the end of the human race 
So. However long or however far away that may be. What that, yeah, however that might turn out. So, yeah, I don't know. What else about that story did you want to... I kind of ran through it just because we're short for time, but... Um... Yeah, no, I think... Uh, you know, I, I think, it, you know, there's some additional moments just like the, you know, who's going to bear our secret love child? Mm. And we get the answer to that, you know, at the end. Um, but yeah, uh, and, you know, sort of the funny, almost slapstick stuff with Doc Cottle and the MRI machine and stuff. But right, right. Um, nothing, nothing really substantive beyond that, uh, that you, what you said. Um, yeah. Well, and so, uh, so one last thing on that, too. Just funny also to have that alongside the whole Roslyn as religious leader leading them to Earth. You know, then simultaneously you have, you know, someone who's being told that he's seeing, you know, an angel sent here by God, which it's like, okay, if she's an angel of God, why isn't she visiting Roslyn? Or, you know, it's kind of, whether those are contradictory things or not, you have multiple different people being seemingly given divine direction from different sources. And mm. you can't quite tell does that mean those things are contradictory or is one right and the other wrong or are they both happening for real? It's not quite clear at this point. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and then we should mention the tomb. They actually find it. Yeah. And go in. Uh, yeah, it only took like half a season but they did find it yeah. um yeah and i don't know i mean it's it's a lot of mythology and info dump i don't know other than to acknowledge that they found it and it gives them you know they they kind of piece together the idea that they're seeing the constellations from the perspective of earth you know when they put the arrow right. in it kind of psychically transports them to a view of the planet from the planet earth so that they can see the constellations in the order that they're supposed to be. So the idea being, if we can find this spot, then that's earth. Um, right. So yeah. Simple like trajectory or uh, right. Like not triangulation uh, of triangulation, different points. Yeah. 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 Um, so it doesn't necessarily solve the problem of how they get there, but it at least gives them an idea of what they're looking for, I guess. Which is great because I like this. It, it kind of seems to me that um, they're, they're solving this problem of we want to move the story forward while also not committing to how long the story will go on. Like for a TV show, like we don't know how many years. So like, Sure. We know we're we're moving the story forward. We have more information. We know what we're going towards, but does that take one more season? Five right. more seasons? It could right. take ten years for all we know. Like there's this sense of okay, we have purpose, but also we've given ourselves 
we've not committed ourselves to a particular timeline in which this has to happen. This could go on for however long we need it to, basically. Sure. So it works well that way. Yeah. All right. So on to Buffy? Yeah. Cool. On to Buffy. Where would you like to begin? Tabula Rasa. So I want to begin maybe just talking about like the overall premise and kind of structure of the episode because it's kind of a strange one. Um, sure. So I feel like it would be good to kind of talk about that. Um, because yeah, the structure is funny. Like you get, I guess it's kind of three part, but it, it's, it's a, it's a funny little episode where you get these kind of relationship pr problems being set up, like in the first, you know, I say the first third, but maybe it's really the first like 10 or 15 minutes of the episode of that or something, um, sure. you know, where you have, okay, these are the, the underlying issues that are lingering from the previous episode. And then, you know, the bulk of it is just a silly, I don't want to say just, like, I don't mean that in a bad way, because I think it's quite funny and quite good, but it really mm -hmm. is like a, a, a frivolous, silly farce that in some ways has literally nothing to do with their lingering issues because they lose their memories. So it can't have anything to do with anything. It's, it's them reacting right. totally naturally with no information and just on their gut instinct and personality as to trying to figure out who they are and what are their relationships to each other. So it completely erases all of the history, all of that tension all of the stuff that we're tracking as like seasonal arc kind of things um, and lets them sort of run around and be goofy for a while. Um, and then it comes back at the end where we, they recover the memories. So there's instant acknowledgement of these confrontations and these relationships. And then it, I don't want to say it doesn't resolve them, but it kind of doesn't. Like, we don't really get, like, they each resolve slightly differently, but we don't get big, like, okay, let's sit down and talk about it kind of things. It's sort of like they all mm. sort of wander off from each other and then sort of react to their situation. And you don't necessarily get that any of these problems are resolved in a sense of being sort of healthier at the end than they were in the beginning. Sure. Um, yeah. So in that sense, it, it it's like there's this whole big confrontation over these problems, but there's no real sense that they've made any progress, mm. you know? So it, it's after like all the silliness, it's this kind of weird, sad, kind of slightly depressed ending. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, right, and so even thinking about, like, the title, right, of Tabula Rasa, mm -hmm. which means blank slate or, or clean tablet or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, the idea being, like, oh, you know, you wipe, you wipe your mind and, and you start afresh and all that stuff, but, like, 
that kind of turns out disastrously, first of all. Um, yeah, I mean, humorous for us as, as watchers, but like, right. you know, pretty scary and random and weird for the characters themselves. Right. Um, but then also, like, it's pretty ironic by the end, you know, because there's it's not a clean slate. It's actually, I mean, a lot of people are kind of going off and doing their own thing, but, like, it's... I guess in a way some of them are starting over like you have like Giles and Tara maybe and Willow and mm-hmm. you know like in a sense they're all kind of like wiping things clean or whatever mm-hmm. but but there's also a sense in which like yeah like they just they simply haven't dealt with anything and they're just right back where they were right you know at the beginning of the episode and, and in some ways worse right uh, yeah that. um do want to point out, so this is written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner, uh, who wrote a few episodes in the fifth season, uh, but the last time we saw her was in season five, episode 19, Tough Love, mm-hmm. which is the episode in which uh, Willow and Tara have their first big fight mm-hmm. over Willow's use of magic. Okay. And... When Glory brain sucks Tara, right? So, so there's just some interesting parallels going on, yeah, there because that's continued to be now a sore topic for a little while, and right, and you know, uh, Tara even brings that up here. Like, remember what right. Glory did to me? How could you mess with my brain like that? And and now you have Willow sort of doing that to everyone mm-hmm. and and seeing the consequences of that and potentially disastrous because you know they sort of lose all of their knowledge about vampires and magic and you know how to fight them and <laughs> all of that kind of stuff um so yeah yeah just very i mean i just sort of you know one of those uh obviously this is a much funnier episode than tough love <laughs> was yeah. um in some ways, but also kind of similar themes and, uh, and also sort of that focusing on Willow and Tara's relationship, at least, you know, partially. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good, I forgot that she wrote that. So that's good to point out. Um, okay. So yeah, I want to go start with what those issues are sort of group by group. Um, so starting with Buffy and Spike, Following on from the last episode, you know, as Spike says, it ended with literally the music swelling and their big, uh, you know, MGM musical, you know, gone with the wind moment, you know, um, and, uh, and so Spike wants to talk about it and Buffy doesn't. And that's pretty much where they are, you know, is right. Uh, obviously Spike has been, uh, pining for this longer than Buffy, you know, um, for, for Buffy that if, if she ever felt anything, it was more as a, you know, purely, you know, maybe visceral thing or out of her loneliness. It wasn't that it was something she ever consciously wanted necessarily, but, so she's kind of wanting to just sure. pretend that it never happened and, you know. And 
and maybe it's even just a byproduct of the music and all of that itself. Like, you know, is that, is that just like one of those things where it's part of the choreography, (laughs) you know, so to speak. Right. Um, right, right. Um, so yeah, I mean, so the, and then there's the kind of funny thing of, you know, I'll never touch you again. And then she immediately touches him to save him from, you know, the stake that's being thrown at him. Um, so, you know, betraying at least some caring for him for at least enough to keep him alive, um, which isn't new necessarily, but it's worth noting, you know, she kind of says like, it would just be easier if he was dead, but you know, she, she doesn't let him just get killed off. So there's, you know, at least some, something there. Um, also not much, not too much to say, I don't think, but like the shark demon. <laughs> yeah. It's it's amazing how much goofy they can still pull out six years in. Like you kind of thought like, sure. Oh, the goofy, the goofiest stuff was all done in like the first couple seasons, but it's yeah, like, like the no, really campy. this is the really the weirdest thing I think they've ever, yeah. you know, it's He's like literally a like a shark. like a rubber yeah. and like a totally rubber head, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, like the guy with the big floppy rubber head on and everything. Um, like it's not even like cool sharkish makeup. It's like <laughs> a rubber head. Um, yeah, yeah, and and the literal pun on the lone shark and everything. So, um, pretty funny, but um, okay. <laughs> Buffy. And of course, of oh, course, sorry. we now we now know the underworld <clears throat> currency of choice of, of kittens, which is kittens. Yes, right, right, right. So apparently, Spike owes his bookies <laughs> a lot of kittens T- from various. Time just turns kittens into cats. <laughs> Sad. Thought. I feel like that should be your motto. Sad thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. Anyway, it's true. So, all right. So we have that going on. Uh, we also have Buffy and Giles uh, having, uh, you know, problems. Giles sits her down uh, to tell her that he's decided, as we saw in the last episode, he's deciding to leave. Um, again, for the reasons he's stated, I don't think it's anything hugely new, but just this idea of her not being able to really come into her own while he's still there, you know, um, he'll keep, she'll keep relying on him to pull her out of situations and he'll do it because he can't not, Yeah. um, you know, and she understandably and predictably does not take that well. Um, you know, this feel, this is like yet another way to kick her when she's down. Um, you know, right. abandoning her at what seems to her the moment that she needs him the most. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Did you have any other points about that? or? No, I thought you were going to keep going there for a sec. So I... Okay. Well, I will keep uh, going. Um, pause. So, well, oh, well, go ahead. So just one, one thing. Um, uh I mean, I guess it's kind of building off, like, 
we, you know, the stuff with Giles, like, yeah, he's, I mean, I think this is like Giles has already left once. So mm -hmm. like, this is sort of his renewed, renewed right. vigor, right. Of it's time for me to go. It's time for me to leave. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I don't really have a whole lot more to say about it. I'm just kind of like, you know, again, just re reiterating that fact, but like Buffy's, pretty uh pretty adamant against his mm -hmm. going right so um uh oh where's oh i put it under so you know giles is like well i don't want to leave like he's sort of like trying to make it soft for her mm. even though like he's determined it's like you know i don't want to leave and buffy's like well so don't <laughs> like right like it's for her it's pretty simple and it feels like that you know abandonment is happening right um and and like you said like he says um you know as long as i stay you'll always turn for me um but i you know you know and if i'm here i'll step in because i can't bear to see you suffer and she's like you know me too hate suffering had about as much of it as i can take and it's i mean you know again like we know this feels worse to her Mm -hmm. because of where she had been but i also feel like like there is a sense in which like he's i mean like i don't i don't know like i don't know how you feel but like mm -hmm. like and maybe it's like the parent perspective in me but there is that sense of like yeah you do kind of just need to figure it out on your own for a bit and like hmm there is a sense in which uh there's a reason why like people can get used to things even even sometimes terrible things and just they start to feel like normal right and mm -hmm. i think i think i don't know if there there's i'm sure there's like a psychological term or whatever i don't know what it is but just for that ability of people to like take the things that happen every day and sort of normalize them so that it becomes, you know, the new normal, so to speak. Mm. And so in some sense, I think that's what Giles is doing. Like he's saying to Buffy, like, okay, you are in heaven, but if you just like tough it out long enough, you'll, you'll start to get it right here and mm. and you'll start to feel like you belong and and you'll find that you actually can like like yes the transition sucks because like you were really calm and peaceful and you know believed everything was good and all your friends were safe before but like part of getting over that is just you know it's like going through physical therapy in a way right, right. like it's it's like yeah you know maybe you had knee surgery but you know, part of recovering from that, it's not just laying in bed all the time, but it's actually getting up and using it. And, right. you know, eventually you'll, you'll be back to normal, so to speak. Right. Um, so I don't know, I guess I just felt like you needed to expand on that a little more. But yeah. Anyway. Well, and that's kind of one of the, the classic sort of, you know, descriptions of, of that kind of depression is, 
the the inability to feel like it will ever get better you know sure like there's you can be sad but sometimes i'm just sad but i realize all right i'm sad today for whatever reason mm. and i know that after a little while or after i do this or whatever i will eventually feel better you know it won't right. it won't last forever that it's a period that i have to go through that's not depression like you know like i think buffy's in that state where it like it i almost think of like david after the dentist like is this forever like is this the way life is now and it's just gonna you know this is how i'm going to experience the world and how my changed perspective on the world and now you're gonna abandon me in the middle of that um, you know, so she can't get to that place yet where she can see that somehow or some way, eventually things will normalize, you know, she will find that sort of balance again. Um, you know, which I think is what Giles is saying will happen. Like if you, mm -hmm. if you just take it one day at a time and you work on it and you look to the future that will just sort of happen naturally over time. Um, sure. But yeah, that's not her perspective at this time. Um, so, yeah. Um, so Willow and Tara um, are, you know, some of some of Tara's immediate anger that she seemed to have in the last episode when she realized that Willow used the spell on her seems like she, she put it slightly on the back burner because she sees the effect that uh, Buffy's revelation about heaven has on Willow. So you kind of get the sense of, okay, I'm not going to, she's not intending to have that fight today. You know, like it's sort of a let's, let's focus on this right now. And, and she's there for Willow and we'll see how it goes until Willow immediately starts in again with the let's use a spell to fix everything. Um, mm -hmm. And not just a spell, let's use a memory spell. So she's going to use the spell that right. Tara knows that she used on her. Um, so any resolve Tara had to be sort of understanding or forgiven. It's like, well, that can't happen because we're going to keep, having the same discussion over and over again. Um, so they end up, you know, going at it and Tara ends up kind of threatening to do what she was deciding to do in the last one, which is to, to leave, you know, to, to say this isn't going to work. And, you know, it, yeah. it might be over. Um, you know, uh, only, you know, somewhat, you know, convinced, hesitantly convinced by Willow's offer to prove it. Um, you know, so Willow immediately starts, you know, bargaining for, I'll go a month or I'll go a week or whatever, you know, I, psh, I don't need magic. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not hooked on it. I can, I can give it up anytime. No problem. Yeah. Um, you know, which. Yeah, very. Sorry, go ahead. 
Well, just that Tara kind of, again, uh, hesitantly agrees to it, but you don't necessarily get that she's that, you know, like she's hope she's cautiously optimistic, but that's a big emphasis on the cautious. Like she's a little skeptical, but she's willing to sort of give her the benefit of the doubt, I guess. Sure. What were you starting to say before I cut you off a second ago? Yeah, no, just that whole, the, the very, uh, sort of, you know, bargaining, mm. addictive personality that Willow sort of takes on. It's like, and, and she even uses the word baby, right? Like, which is kind of funny, but like the way that she uses it, I, I always sort of ascribe to, uh, sort of, uh, you know, drug sort of characters or at least like ones with sort of like you know more carefree mm. attitudes around substances right so mm. it's like nah baby I'll, I'll you know i'll go a week without using right drink. you know like right it's all you you know i don't yeah, need this yeah. other stuff yeah yeah i don't i don't need this i you're the one i need and all of that stuff right. so um and of course she, i mean she can't even go like one evening so, right. you know, it's like, and not even like, like she doesn't even break it to like do the spell. Cause like, you can almost understand like, okay, she thinks the spell is going to fix everything and that's all fine. I mean, it's not, but like you at least understand that, but it's like when she first breaks it, it's just to like get dressed quicker. Like, so it's right. not even like a right. good reason to break the promise right well um, and like which is worse so okay like you said there's the the kind of uh flippancy of of doing magic just to get dressed so so that kind of implies it's not even a big deal to break her word like she'll just do it for any old thing you know but then also when she does the big spell again it's the big spell that she knows you know is really personally upsetting to Tara and she does it to Tara again. you like, we, so we've already had the discussion about, uh, you know, Tara seeing it as this violation, you know, and it, her, yeah. and it reminding her of this traumatic experience of what happened with glory. So it's like, you know, when she, when Willow does the big spell, it's specifically, not only is she breaking her word for doing it, but it's specifically doing a type of spell that she knows is personally upsetting to Tara. Um, yeah. And it's like, yeah, deciding which of those things is worst is like hard. Like they're all kind of worst in their own way. Um, so yeah, Willow being, uh, you know, quite headstrong this season with her magic um which comes back to bite her in the butt uh pretty quickly so a little bit yeah so she does the memory spell on buffy and tara specifically so she's gonna fix their broken relationship and she's gonna after after she like tara's already been like don't do this don't, don't do, this. do this yeah don't do this specifically this don't do it and that's of course, exactly what she goes and does. Um, thinking that, oh, well, I'm messing with their memories, so I'm going to, you know, fix everything and not even get called on it. Um, 
which always works. Um, so yeah. And of course it backfires and goes wrong and affects everybody and, you know, erases all of their mm -hmm. memories, you know, for the, the majority of the episode. Um, so yeah, let's talk through, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to, to see it, it, it's light and funny, obviously, but it's an interesting peek into how do the characters sort of reinvent themselves, you know, in a world where they have no memory and no context for who they are, you know, what sort of things do they imagine to be true about themselves? Um, sure. <laughs> either in part based on, cause there's this nature and nurture question again, part of it based yeah. on their own intuition of who they think they might be. And part of it based on like really random circumstantial evidence that, is usually not accurate to what really is going on in real life. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, so we start with Buffy, or as she calls herself, Joan, <laughs> of course. So, you know, Buffy's intuition tells her that she has a very normal name, um, which is kind of interesting of how Buffy views herself, you know, like, mm -hmm. I like the name Joan, but also she goes for something absolutely sort of plain and no frills. You know, Buffy sees herself as a much more sort of average person than, you know, she really is. Uh, yeah. You know. And Dawn makes fun of her for the name Joan, but Buffy likes it. So that's what she's going with. Right. Um, and that's how they figure out their sisters. Right, right. Or, or at least suspect yeah, that they're sisters. Right, because they're, they, right. So again, some of this, some of the things they figure out are wrong because they're basing it on evidence, which is incorrect. But sometimes their intuition leads them somewhere true. So you get, you know, Buffy and Dawn just by the way that they kind of gripe at each other understanding something fundamental about their relationship and they're right. Um, so yeah, that's kind of funny. Um, and Buffy instantly being, even before they realize they're sisters, Buffy instantly wanting to protect Dawn, um, you know, and, and be the leader of the group. Like she's the one kind of being the most calming of everybody saying it's okay we can figure this out. Let's stick together. We'll take care of each other. So mm -hmm. even though she thinks of herself as plain Joan, that leadership and that kind of authority kind of coming out of her naturally and everything. Um, and, and, and realizing her accidentally kind of discovering her ability to slay vampires, you know? Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Which like, that's become so second nature that like when she says, you know, when she kind of says the thing about like, I think I'm like a superhero, like that reminded <laughs> me very strongly of like season one Buffy, like the kind sure. of Valley girl who's sort of surprised that she's also a superhero. Like that's something we haven't really seen in a while. Um, right. So yeah, kind of took it back to like her roots as like, Back when this was new, before she became all jaded and, you know, tired of the whole thing. 
Um, I don't really feel like I have a lot for Dawn, really. Um, No, hers is kind of just... Like, like she's there. She's there. Which which is a lot of what... She's the youngest and is sort of the most sort of afraid and everything. Um, So... Uh, so Spike, who is Randy, because that's what it says again, like basing it on, you know, the, the inside of his jacket. Um, and I guess we should kind of talk about Spike and Giles as a pair too, because they kind of, you know, brilliantly deduce that they're related since they have similar accents. Um, you know, and they must be father and son. So you get this, I love Giles line about, uh, I feel a sense of familiarity, but also disappointment. <laughs> so it must, right. be, it must be my son. Um, Cause that's the kind of feelings that children inspire. Um, so yeah, kind of making fun of each other, but also like, you know, wanting to try to be, you know, uh, affectionate as well. Like you get like the, the hugs, you know, like the awkward hugs between the two of them, um, you know, which is kind of funny. Like on the one hand, it's, they can't, you know, they're trying to put up all this front of, Oh, we must drive each other crazy or we can't stand each other. But like, it's kind of like, you kind of get the idea that they'd kind of like to be father and son deep down. (laughs) Like they kind of enjoy it. Yeah, no, this, I mean, there's definitely some good play going on there. Um, yeah, and the whole Randy Giles, like how outraged he is at that. And uh, yeah, you're going to hurt Randy. Yeah. Um, like that, that whole. Yeah. Well, my, it's just my, one of my funny. favorite parts was the. Ready, Randy? Ready, Joan. Like, how seriously they, you right. know, use their new names and everything. Um, right. You know, but they're so kind of earnest about it. Um, it's just it's just funny. Um, and all the just, the goofy misunderstandings of, like, send out Spike. Oh, it must mean these. And they, like, chuck all the... <laughs> they chuck all the All stakes, the stakes yeah. out. Like, you know, all the kind of farcical elements of misunderstandings and, you know... Uh, sure. slapstick and everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think sort of like you said before, like just the fact that this whole part is so silly and, and doesn't really have much to do with anything. Like, I mean, even, even the plot isn't like the, the, you know, loan shark and stuff. There, there's no like, you know, there, this has nothing to do with like the seasonal plot no, arc no. at all. Um, no, it's just an excuse to get, Puffy and, jo- and uh, Spike out off together, sort of on- separately from the group. And sure, sure. So yeah, um, I mean, it's kind of like it's always like dissecting comedy is not as fun, you know. So yeah. it, it's kind of hard to talk about. <laughs> um, it's more fun to watch than it is to to really talk about. Um, yeah, and I mean, there's certainly funny moments. I mean, the the Giles and Anya stuff, Anya, <laughs> Anya. you know. Right, uh, they must be engaged because she has a ring and, um, right, yeah. and he was like, had his head leaned against her and right, stuff, right. and and you know, and you get like Willow's 
repeating like i think i'm kind of gay right you know right, like right. like that kind of stuff and the tension you know between her and tara right. even though um she's kind of sort of you know with xander you know and just sort of that call back to like oh yeah like for the whole what first three seasons or so like right you know there was willow xander thing going on right um, right right and again some of that is learned and some of that is like oh well, the jacket suggests that we're together, so I guess we're boyfriend and girlfriend. But, like, her natural attraction to Tara just sort of comes out of her, you know? So sure. there's this conflict between who we think we're supposed to be and who we really are, um, you know? And they all kind of are pulled in those different directions and everything. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I like, you know calling Xander Alex just because why not? Like his name is Alex. Right. So like just little assumptions you would make like that are funny. Um, and Giles and Anya. And that's the as first the, time I think we've heard that his name is Alex, right? Like, I mean, I don't. I, th I, don't I guess so. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like that, I'm sure that's sort of the assumption. Right. But like, like, I don't know that his actual name has been you know his full name has been said yeah before. i can't i mean i can't po think of possibly it. possibly like maybe once in like right. an early season you know like in school like maybe one of the teachers or like principal schneider or whatever right. you know snyder right. i mean uh you know said uh something like alexander harris or whatever but i mean definitely don't yeah they haven't made that, like a big you know, thing much. of it before this um, yeah, and Giles and Anya as this old married couple that they kind of already act the part anyway. They just weren't ever, like, you know, romantically involved. But they're pretty used to arguing about the shop and, you know, kind of giving each other a hard time and everything. So mm -hmm. it's sort of a natural extension of that relationship, you know, and then they're horror to find out, like... Of course, their memories come back in the middle of, you know, their their resolution and their deep, passionate kiss and everything. Um, right. You know. So that's all very funny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe we should just go on to the non-resolutions because other than listing <laughs> funny moments, it's like, you know. Um, yeah, there's like not much point to it. No, <laughs> and again, I think and, that's that's the point is if you and, lose the memories, you lose the whole history and context of who you are and your relationships to each other. So the tabula rasa spell that Willow does doesn't help because you don't mm. get anywhere with it. Um, you know, you don't learn anything from that. You just make silly mistakes um you know right. and it's all and it all happens until like they run into one person who knows each of them you know what i mean like right no you're you're not randy you're spike and you know like like you you think of like <laughs> like if harmony came along suddenly right like mm -hmm. she would right. just like correct them all and tell them all what's what and whatever or right. you know angel or something you know would right. be a less funny version of that right um although potentially i shouldn't say that david boreanaz can be 
pretty funny. Sure. But, you know, like, like you just get that sense of like, yeah, like even, even as they are, it's temporary and that they would eventually sort of slip back into all the same things mm. that make them who they are. Mm-hmm. So, so interesting then sort of contrasting this or at least that part of the episode with the stuff we were talking about um, in relation to, to Sharon mm-hmm. and her memory uh, as like boomer plus, <laughs> right? you know, right. I didn't really think about it. Like it didn't really occur to either of us. I don't think to talk about memory in like the title or anything. We went with the funny. Not title, until we got to here. No, not till just now, <laughs> not till an hour and 45 minutes into this. Just this podcast. moment. Yeah. Um, um, that's funny. We're good at this. How long we did? Yeah, this not now? long enough. Um, all right. So the non-resolution then, because they don't learn anything it's from like a their, episode. yeah, yeah. There's no hugging, no crying, no learning, um, which was the rule of Seinfeld. So, and that is kind of, well, there is some crying. But there's not much hugging <laughs> right. and there's not much learning because everybody's so horrified by what they realize when their memories come back that they all just sort of flee in the opposite direction of each other. Right. Um, you know, uh, Giles literally, you know, gets on the plane, which is sad. Like, you know, after all these weeks of, oh, my gosh, she's going to be leaving I didn't expect that he would leave, like, with no real, you know, really no resolution at all. Mm. Um, Like, it just, the implication to me and the fact that we don't have a goodbye scene is that there really isn't one. Um, Right. You know, like, that's what it seems to say is that they don't have anything to say, so he just gets on the plane. Um, right. This isn't. This isn't all of them sort of rushing off and like. Right. Having you know, a sign at the ter- airport ter- and terror with the girl are you know and, right. and that kind of thing. Right. Like, this is this is just him going off quietly. Right. And whatnot. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That they can't really face each other after this, um, which is like the worst way for him to be leaving. Um, sure. You know. Uh, and then similarly. Um, Tara and Willow, you know, Tara packs up her stuff. Um, You know, and that was really, I thought, really moving when they come back, when they get their memories back. And, you know, you get them kind of looking at each other, like realizing what Willow did. And the fact that I would expect the, the easier thing would be to have Tara kind of get up and storm out. Like, oh, I can't believe that you, you know, broke your promise and leaves. But it's Willow, like they don't say anything, and it's Willow who gets up and leaves. Like right. Willow doesn't even have a defense. Like she just knows. There's nothing she can. Yeah. Like it's so damaged that she doesn't even try. Like mm-hmm. there's no more of that. Like bargaining or trying to talk her around or anything. She just gives up. Um, no. you know, which is like kind of the saddest part. And then you know, Tara gets her stuff and moves out. Which is sad. Um, And then not running away from each other is Buffy and Spike. Uh, You know, now again, 
is this resolution of their relationship? I don't really think so. Like, it seems like this is a, an act of desperation, you know? Um, sure. At least on Buffy's part, like, I don't necessarily get the sense that she's had a change of mind about, you know, their relationship to each other. It's more, you know, the things that have kept her coming back to Spike in the last couple episodes of their connection and their loneliness and the fact that they understand each other. I get more the sense of her kind of just saying, well, okay, you know, kind of give into it because everything's going to hell anyway. So I might as well do this, you know, <laughs> um, I could be wrong about that. Maybe you disagree, but that's, it's not like a happy thing to me. It was kind of a. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that's an accurate statement. It's not a happy thing. <laughs> gotcha. I mean, yeah, I, it's. I mean, it's even hard to say. I don't want to give anything away because I feel like that's giving something away. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, but I don't like. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily. I'll. I'll go back to. Uh, what I've said before is Marty Knoxon doesn't mm -hmm. like, you know, Spuffy. <laughs> <laughs> So whether you translate that into <laughs> that's just her feelings on it or some of that may have creeped into the show at all. Or, right. Well, and you it, know, is, it is like, Joss, or, or it, is, it is kind of like Joss sets them up with this big swelling music, romantic, kind of romantic moment. I mean, even that is still kind of, you know, uh, you could argue how happy a moment that's supposed to be but at least there's something of the the romantic kind of coming together at the end of the big musical moment and this sure. is sort of the anti that or you know it's sort of like okay i'm crit ficking but like i imagine marty Knoxon being like all right if we're doing this we're gonna do it by my rules kind of thing of like <laughs> All right, we'll get them together, but it's not going to be the happy, spuffy thing that you imagine. It's going to be that they're like really messed up and like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also recognizing that it's not like, I mean, this goes back to you know what was the season one or two where they're sitting, you know, on the stone wall at the school and saying none of us are ever going to have normal relationships, right? right? Like, and then sure. they all are kind of like, oh, oh yeah, like, that's actually true. Yeah. Um, right. So. Right. Right. I, you know, I, I guess my point there is just to say, like, it's not like unprecedented to, right. you know, think that like one of Buffy's romantic relationships is, you know, kind of doomed from the start, sure. if you want to call it that. Sure. Um, again, I don't want to like give too much away or hint at anything more than whatever, but like, yeah, just based on what we know now, like, yeah, we're not, this is not the start of a healthy relationship mm. per se, mm. um, or at least not how you would imagine a healthy relationship might start. Right. Right. Although the one thing I forgot to mention as we went through the characters too was Spike's uh, imagining of himself as Angel. Um, yeah. You know? <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm the noble vampire. I'm a vampire with a soul. I help the yeah, helpless. I help Look the at helpless. my my wonderful <laughs> redemption arc. Look what a good, you know, hero right. I am and everything. Um which well, is and, funny. Funny little peek into his subconscious there. Yeah. No, sure. Like yeah, this is like yeah, Spike acknowledges kind of how much he sort of envies and mm. wishes to emulate Angel. But also uh, Buffy's sort of, you know, offhand response to that. Like, yeah. just how ridiculous it's that lame. whole idea yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, pretty, pretty fun. Right. Uh, cool. So, yeah, I mean... You know, again, like we've talked in the past, like this is, you know, Buffy is about the Slayer with family and friends, but like the family and friends part are all sort of splitting up and going mm-hmm. in all different directions, uh, including her. Like, you know, if you're not including Spike sort of as part of the family, like she's sort of abandoning them in a sense as well. Um, yeah yeah so yeah yeah so we'll see where that goes um yeah and i don't i mean did you have any final sort of thoughts uh i don't think so no i think we covered everything i wanted to touch on well, we've got um, another episode of Angel next week. And then actually we've got um, a little wackiness because we're coming up on like holiday season 2001. Mm. So we've got we've got an episode of Angel next and then we're going to have two sort of back-to-back episodes of Buffy okay. um, where we'll talk through maybe some of the implications of all of these things, mm. uh, all of the leavings that mm-hmm. we've seen so far. Um, yeah. All right. So, yeah. Sounds good. See you then.